becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing over the songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Is this going? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Or- Welcome, listeners, to the shores of ignorance. Wow. <laughs> She's gonna take my uh, my spot. <laughs> Matt's gonna be like, uh, Michael, uh, don't want to break this to you, but <laughs> I've got a new partner. Yeah, you just don't have what it takes. <laughs> I'm glad to see your face sitting at this table. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> very, very delighted to be back. Crap, I just coughed. Mm-hmm. Do I have it already? You got it already. <laughs> it's okay. We'll just quarantine ourselves in here and we'll just do a... What a, if we did like a 14-day podcast, quarantine <laughs> podcast? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Epic. Uh-huh. Wait, let's, um, let's take a guess. How many times is the word Corona going to be said during the course of this podcast? Do we have podcast? to drink every time someone says Corona? <laughs> <laughs> The hottest drinking game of 2020. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, positive spin on everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, mm. I don't think any of us have Corona for the record. Yes. I don't think anybody no. in Austin does yet. No. Uh-uh. No, I think we probably all will at some point. <laughs> yes. I, 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 from what it sounds like, it's like inevitable kind of thing, but I don't know if that's true or not. It's hard to tell what's true. Yeah. We were talking about this before the podcast. Mm-hmm. It, like, who the hell knows? I think it's too soon yeah. to, to like make much sense of it. It does seem that way. I mean, the thing the CDC does say, it's, a, it's low risk and mild, uh, mild effects. Yeah. But that's hard to like, I don't know what that means versus what I hear everywhere else. Like right. we're all going to die. And even the word pandemic sounds horrible, uh-huh. but that just means that it's, that cases have been found in almost every country. That's all that means. That's all that means. That's good to know. I, I don't. I, I could be wrong. But I don't know if there's like an actual gauge of like how right. many. But does that mean that the flu is a pandemic just always? I think so. I believe so. Hmm. So it, so it's weird. These words that you have such like huge like weight to them. You know. Yeah. Pandemic. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't find myself super worried about it, but I did, I had, I, I caught an interesting thought process in my head today about it, hmm. which was that like, I never think about the flu or cold or getting sick at all. And yeah. if I get the flu, I'm just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I sleep until I feel better. Um, but I feel like if I had the coronavirus, I would be way more in my head about it, like freaked out. Yeah. Like, right. what is this going to be? How's it going to affect me? Mm-hmm. You would be considering all of the negative options yeah. that you've heard on the right. news and, and your mind is so powerful over your body. Yeah. Like you could make yourself more sick, more sick because you're freaked out about it. Yeah. I believe that, uh, in college I had scarlet fever. Did you really? I did. That sounds, uh, terrible. Right. It sounds mm-hmm. petrifying. I don't even know what the symptoms are. Scarlet fever is a really nasty version of strep throat. Oh, but it does make you have rat, like red rashes all over your body. Yikes. And it was literally the worst I've ever felt from any illness. Hmm. But it's just strep throat. Hmm. You just bad antibiotics. strep throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty contagious. I got it from my roommate. Um, but I did feel horrible. How, but how much of that, like you were just saying, was... I had scarlet fever. Right. You know, like it sounds in like my this mind epic it killed thing. like throngs and throngs of people. Right. 
and I could have died. Right. I didn't die. I'm glad you didn't. Mm-mm. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to make the case that the fear of, of the coronavirus right now is being way overblown mm-hmm. based upon what we know. Um, you know, and maybe it's easy enough to make the opposite case that some people aren't taking it seriously enough. But, yeah. you know, as as this thing works itself out and um, it probably will be important for us to get some control over our own minds in terms of not spinning out with the unknown spinning Mm -hmm. out with fear and just remembering that we are, well, at least us, this table. And I think the majority of us that really are like healthy people and we can rely on our bodies to heal themselves. And yeah. Yeah. It's hard because I mean, I think it's mostly cases are, you know, elders, elderly people. And it's hard because, you know, you don't want to be dismissive and anything you can say in that area can almost sound dismissive. Right. But, um, like, again, it's, uh, so just for reference, like we're, we're exploring this. And so any sort of stats or, um, things that we've heard, it's always good to check those because we're more exploring and trying to understand some of the things that we've heard. It's a caveat for the listeners. It's a caveat for listeners just because, uh, I don't, I, I mean, everyone who's probably listened to us up to this point already know that. You know, we're not the uh, authorities on this, and I thought that would be important to, <laughs> to well, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's. Do, why don't we then, to that point, like take the conversation away from things we don't know? <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we. That's the shores well, of ignorance. I thought it was interesting, uh, Allison. You said when when it first came up off the podcast that you felt like there was sort of a, a theme of anxiety around this, mm-hmm. and, and that it seemed to be actually not limited to the coronavirus, but more limited to the world in general. And Mm. that over the next year, you felt like that was going to be a big, a big theme. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, not to like kick us off on a super negative note, but (laughs) (laughs) if it is true, we might as well start dealing with it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I do. I do think that it's worth being mindful about so that we can choose how we want to move forward in this year. Mm hmm. Um, and it, I, I got this premonition about it weirdly. Um, it was, was it back in January or February? There was this real bad storm that was here in Austin and everyone like freaked out. Do oh, you remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, no. It was like schools, tornado, yeah. like threats of tornadoes and mm. people were like making runs on Costco and the storm was going to just shut everything down and people mm. just freaked out, like canceled plans. I had some plans with friends and they canceled because the storm and it all day long. I felt frustrated because I felt like people anxiety about a storm was just immediately robbing people of experience in terms of like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to cancel all these things. I'm not going to like, like they're not living their lives right out of fear. Right. It's like fear of this can't be caught thing that might happen is gonna you know it's not worth the risk it's too much risk well it is what we're doing now right like cancel culture has gotten super real like (laughs) south by southwest is canceled a lot of other events are canceled i think the cancellation is going to get really far and wide reaching Mm -hmm. in the coming weeks and months right i mean it already has yeah um countries limiting travel and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Our Israel trip. <laughs> is, yeah. 
probably they're going to make the final call on March thirty first. Oh, okay, but hmm. sad. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's an interesting point that you made about robbing people of experiences. I don't know if you use the word robbing, but mm-hmm. no, that's because it feels like there's a. To me, there's an almost like supernatural quality to like region wide, nationwide, a like um, area wide anxiety that. And that's what that, that that one day, it just felt so irrational that so many people were so freaked out about a storm. I mean, we live in Texas. Like, yeah. we do storms here. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. right. It just seemed like that one day, why is everybody, like, freaking out? Well, I've kind of had the same thought around, about corona. I don't I don't exactly understand why it's the, the fear of it's gotten to such a fever pitch. And it, when the, the logic of it is so out of sync, that's when I feel like there's some kind of like something in the air about it that um, amplifies the negative energy. And that's what you're talking about when you said you feel like there's a theme Mm -hmm. running through this year already. Right. And so like coronavirus is like amping that up. And then the election year is also like a massive undercurrent with that. And man, even the primaries have just been exhausting, flipping yeah. back and forth between front runners, and they're mm-hmm. all so polarized that there's certainly different groups feeling different amounts of anxiety at different times based upon who's the current favorite. Right. Mm-hmm. And so some of the some of the um, I guess orientation toward all of that that I've heard feels very disempowered, like dread and like oh i have to endure this year and it's going to be awful and like pre like pre-victimized hmm. by the year itself and the process yeah is that bad to say no i don't think so um explain what you mean by that i think it makes sense enough but that deserves a little bit of uh, unpacking yeah pre-victimized to me, that's attached to a sense of powerlessness about the system. The system the, meaning? The political system, hmm. the structures upon which our country is built, the systems that it uses to operate, the political system, the election system. Um, Could that even include, like, um, systems of distribution? Like, you know, a lot of stores are sold out of toilet paper for some super random reason. <laughs> yes. My dad texted me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I got a warning. Yeah. Which I did not heed. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Mm. So yeah, so I feel like there's a there's a powerlessness about the ability to really transform the system and therefore it's like you're just subject to it. There's mm. like you're But isn't it always that way? Probably, but I think because election presumes that there's choice, hmm. but then people but but people feel like there's really not a choice. Hmm. Like like um, like someone at the at Medici was like, "Oh, you you're not voting in the primaries. That's where you. That's the only place where you actually have any effect." Hmm. 
like the local primary. So it's like yeah. the only place where your vote really has any influence. So if a which lot, isn't true, I don't know. I am. Well, also like, the disempowerment of like if you live in a red state or a red city and you're uh, mm-hmm. blue, you feel like your vote doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter, and vice versa. And you know, it's like so there is that sort of disempowerment in that yeah. area. But but there's also something I think that's the thing, and just in the ritual of voting or in acting out, it's like there's something healthy and good about that. Whether or not you know, it's like you're you 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 see your action have a direct impact you know mm-hmm. i think there's something that it does for you as an individual you know you <clears throat> you know you have these rituals and you you follow through with these rituals that help you kind of orient yourself in the world and um but if you don't have any i don't know uh any any faith in those rituals or any uh i don't shoot, i don't even know what the word right word would be but i guess faith would be the right word and how they, I don't know if faith's the right word. If you don't have any belief in the, in the ritual itself, then it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same impact on you. Like if you go to sacrifice a cow for your sins or something like that, you know, but if you don't really believe that it has no impact on you, but you have to have something, some sort of thing to orient yourself. And, you know, it's like, whether it be forgiveness or, you know, something that kind of like you act out that you, that helps you to engage the world. So like voting for us is a way that we engage our political system and it allows you to feel that connection. You know, it's like how much does, you know, you're one in 333 billion or million people, (laughs) you know, it's like, how much does that vote? How much does that vote matter? You know, I I, I feel like that's the wrong question. It's a, I think it's a strange way to look at it, that mm-hmm. description that you just gave, but I think yeah. I see where you're going with it. Well, maybe you can unpack it. I don't know where I'm going, <laughs> going with it. I mean, I, can, I, I do it a little bit. But. Well, I think maybe without trying to tie it back to the, the concept of voting, mm-hmm. I like what you said about ritual orienting yourself in the world. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about what you said about there being a theme of anxiety. And what do you do about that? Right. And about you know, events being canceled, robbing people of experience. And really the ultimate effect of all of that is not necessarily, at least not right now, it's not everybody gets sick, but everybody is disoriented, disoriented mm-hmm. in the world because their structures have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the city feels different. Every business is wondering how they're going to make it through without that boon of yeah, South totally. by this year. That's huge. I've been yeah. talking to a lot of other business owners and, uh, I mean, you don't realize how much of an impact South by has on other businesses. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's it's quite crazy. Uh, Hashtag support your local business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> well, you take a quick uh, a quick little jog down that tangent. I saw somebody posted a. Uh, some kind of Instagram flyer suggesting it was like hashtag support local business, mm-hmm. and then it was like how we're going to do that is we're all going to agree to tip double for the next month. Mm. What do you think about that? That's great. But also just going out <laughs> and spending money. I mean, would business. that have an effect though? I, I mean, it, I, I think I read it and I was like, well, that, yeah, that seems really nice. But like, it also seems really directed at one specific group of people within businesses mm-hmm. that doesn't actually have an effect on the 
future of the business itself. That's, I mean, technically that's support local service industry people, mm-hmm. not necessarily the business. Depending on how the business, I mean, unless it's someplace like, uh, <clears throat> like Thai Fresh, they don't take tips. Mm-hmm. So go there. Black Star Club, they don't take tips. Well, but not to dissuade any from anybody yeah, from right. doing it. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I just thought it was interesting. Double-tick your barista. They will love you. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I, mean, I think just in general, like coming out and supporting your local businesses and tip, 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 yeah. for sure. We could start a tip jar for Shores of Ignorance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's not many people that walk by here, though. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Well, we could sit up taping. in the driveway and oh, sell lemonade while we there you go. record. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I'll, but I want to go back to the idea of orientation because I, I mm-hmm. was really feeling something with that. Yeah. Well, and that that was kind of the inspiration that hit me is like, how how do you want to orient yourself to the year? Like, okay, here we are. Mm-hmm. Coronavirus is a thing. This is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, this is an election year. It's going to be stressful. Um, if you're a person that is stressed out by politics. Mm-hmm. So what's your choice in that? Like, we can choose to be dragged along and victimized by the stress, mm-hmm. the drama, the, or you can choose what you need to be well in the middle of, you know, unpredictable circumstances. And I think that's the harder thing to do. I think it's easier to just, um, be dragged along by the drama of it all hmm. rather than, take responsibility for what do I need to be well? Cause ultimately, and maybe this is like the deeper point, really the only thing we can ever control is ourselves. And that is a hard pill to swallow. Hmm. Like, yeah, I can only control me. Yeah. I can't, I actually can't control the presidential election. I actually can't control the coronavirus. I actually can't control the people who are deciding to cancel events. And right, that's an unpleasant, an unpleasant reality. Well, but I think it's interesting because I, your sense of well-being, I think, actually doesn't really have much to do with perception of control, and. Attempting to control things doesn't bring about a sense of well-being. Hmm. Except in that it's a sense of well-being is tied to safety. Definitely. And we want to control circumstances so that we feel safe. <clears throat> right. Well, and I understand the, the desire for it and the impetus for it. I, but I think that there's a distinction. I don't think that you actually feel safe by being necessarily in control i guess it's to the degree that of you know a realistic idea of what you actually have control over so like i have control over you know how i wake up in the morning and how i orient myself to my staff Mm -hmm. to allison to the kids and there's these immediate things i do have control over but you know i don't have I have a le- I have lesser and less control as you go outside that circle. So it's like you have a circle that you have a lot more control in how you interact and 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 uh, uh, participate. But the more that you go outside that circle, your impact becomes you know less and less. You know, 
Uh, and it's interesting. I think everyone has those circles look different and have different impacts in different places. So I think, yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel safe and secure mm-hmm. in the world? That's a good question. I don't, I don't have an immediate answer to that. Well, maybe <clears throat> I do. Maybe this is the point I'm getting at is I think what makes me feel safe is not necessarily determining outcomes, but looking into the future, into the unknown of the future and saying, here is what I want to be. And that's not like a blank canvas thing. That's more like a given everything that I understand given my own fears and anxieties, given the state of my life and my family, given the state of my city and my country, here's what I would like to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that may be, to your point, something as simple as like, I want to get up at this time and I want to go to my shop and orient myself to my staff in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going and doing that, that makes me feel, control is not the right word somehow. Mm -hmm. It, it makes me feel grounded, yeah. which I think is a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Like I am here. I am present because I set something in front of me that I wanted to do that I decided was a good thing to do. Yeah. And then I make moves toward doing it. Whether I accomplish it or not, I actually don't think is very much tied to my sense of well-being or my safety. Hmm. I think it is the decision to move towards something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of ritual just keeps coming back into my mind more and more is like having rituals that you do mm-hmm. engage in that are, you know, I think, I think once you get past that, then you get more into the creative aspect of things. But if you can't, you can't get into the creative aspect if you don't have like helpful or positive rituals that you take part in. I think that's actually like one of the really important parts of the idea of a ritual is Mm -hmm. you don't really know what the outcome of it's going to be. You partake in it. You, you sort of do it as an exercise without exactly knowing what the benefit is Mm -hmm. and benefit seems to manifest Mm -hmm. when you partake in that exercise. Well, there is purpose. I mean, like, as you do, like the reason why I take part in the ritual of getting up early in the morning is, is that there is a benefit in that, and I know that if I continually do that, I've seen the benefit from that ritual right? and what I want out of that. You know, one is I have my coffee and, you know, settle into the day. I read, mm-hmm. uh, I do some yoga and, you know, by the time I get home to wake up the kids and Allison, it's like, I feel really good. You know, does that happen every time? No, but most of the time it does. So to me, that's a very powerful ritual that helps me orient myself. And I see the positive parts that come out. So it's like, so if that ritual was, was producing negative impacts, you know, I come home and I'm yelling at everybody and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, that's not really a helpful ritual. (laughs) Well, that's funny because we don't, we don't tend to see very clearly the rituals that produce negative impact. Yeah. And we just sort of keep doing them and wonder why things Mm -hmm. are bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we're doing. You're doing something wrong if if, if you're having negative impacts in something yeah. that you're doing. So. Well, I guess my my thinking is that ritual is not a one to one cause and effect. If this, then that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
because it, it's like, well, to use your word from earlier, I think it requires some faith. Hmm. And I don't mean that in a sort of religious sense, although I think I probably ultimately do mean it that way. Mm -hmm. If I follow a certain line of thinking, but it requires some faith. I'm going to get up and do this every morning. Does it work every time? No. Mm -hmm. Does it work enough times to make it worthwhile? Yes. Mm -hmm. Will it work this morning? I have faith. Yeah. Do you guys make a distinction between ritual and routine? I don't think so. I can't. Could could you? I'd be interested. (laughs) Um, it, to me, ritual is a much weightier word mm-hmm. than routine. But I feel like y'all are describing routines, but you experience it as a ritual. I, I agree with you. I don't, I hate routines. Really? <laughs> I do. What? I don't believe you. Uh, no, I like rituals. Uh, well, what's the difference then? Well, you- I, okay, in the way that you were explaining that, and, and just the way that it went off in my mind was, was a routine just seems like this is just something you do. For no purpose. For no purpose. Like for me, like. <laughs> but why would you have so such a negative look at, reti- at routine? Well, because like, I, I, it's like, I, I want, I mean, I, 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 I desire everything that I do to have purpose. And mm. whenever I, and again, I might, there's something might, might turn into a routine, <clears throat> but at some point I'm just sort of like, why is this so empty? You know, it might be helpful for a period of time, but at some point it becomes empty to me. And it might just, it might just be, so for me, like the ritual is like, is like, it takes on more of a narrative and a story that's, that's in, that's moving something along, you know, um, like, like yoga, like it's like, man, it's like, it's helping me with my back and it also helps me feel centered. And I, you know, it's like, yeah, but you do a yoga routine, not a yoga ritual. Oh, I guess maybe, well, I mean, maybe the routine is part parts. of the ritual. <laughs> I guess, yeah, maybe like, there may be like your rituals are made up of tiny routines, you know? Yeah. Like well, the, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I, I could go there. Yeah. So the, yeah, then it's, it, yeah. How you parse that out. That's, that might be kind of interesting. Maybe your routine is what you do and a ritual is why you do it. Hmm. That's possible. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> what was that <laughs> i don't know i feel like allison's got a uh no i'm, I'm just she's curious. got something that is pushing up no. against a gate that's ready to break open no. I, just tell us no, the right answer. In, in, me, in me the like the word routine makes me want to throw up mm, but why? the word ritual is like ah oh, satisfying i hate r- routine feels um, oppressive and like constricting my freedom, constricting my spontaneity. Like I'm controlled by it, but mm. ritual feels like it's life giving. What's something in your life that's a routine? Wake up every morning, make five lunches. Could you reframe that as a ritual? Um, You're like, I don't think so. I hate it so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the, it's one of the routine, like feeding my family in general is like, wow, is this something I didn't, 
I had no way of comprehending what it would feel like to feed so many people <laughs> so many times a day, day after day for years. Yeah. Like at this point, I don't have, like I do it because I don't want my people to starve. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason. It's a good reason. Um, but it also feels like this is just my routine. Yeah. This is just life. Like we just, you feed people. And I don't feel like I, I would happily make a ritual out of doing dinners like Saturday night. Oh, yeah. That was cool. That felt life giving and beautiful. And like all the work of that felt steeped in meaning mm-hmm. and like a beautiful gift of an offering. But and just to explain what you did, you all had a dinner party. Had other other adults over. Yes. Um, apparently, there's a thing. It's called the Jeffersonian dinner. Ooh. Have yeah, you heard we of this? That. Yeah. No. We, I hadn't even heard of it. But it's a whole thing where you invite people over. You have over a long meal, a group discussion. So the idea is that you don't have side conversations, but the entire table engages around a topic hmm. so that collective wisdom can come forth. That's an awesome idea. I mean, even the idea of like limiting side conversations, because that mm-hmm. happens so often yeah. when you're in a group of more than four people. Yeah. Right. To make that off limits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Requires your attention. Mm-hmm. But we didn't make that explicit. Mm-mm. No? No. Well, that was our intention, but we, we but didn't we make it explicit. The, yeah. I mean, in the invitation beforehand... Mm-hmm. Sorry, babe. <laughs> All the mic stands. I'm like, <laughs> you need to move. I'm getting animated. We got a dancer. She's got a salsa going on. Um, but we did say like, hey, there's going to be some topics, mm-hmm. some activities. We had activities. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did I go off on that? All oh, right. So though that cooking in that context felt like a really beautiful offering, but mm, offering. Yes. But making, making lunches for your kids is not an offering. Another PBJ. <laughs> oh Lord, it's just <clears throat> tiresome. I'm. T- it's tiresome. Yeah, well, to- because totally. it's so repetitive. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like anything you have to do like repeatedly day after day. Well, I think I think you have to try to convert those things that you have to do every day into rituals. Otherwise, they become oppressive. Like. Well, so recently I I had this experience because I I also get up and make lunches and, um, once we talked about it before in the podcast, but I was experimenting and still am with intermittent fasting and not eating breakfast. And Mm. I decided to cut out coffee as well in the morning. (laughs) Well, I I just decided to wait until I got to work to drink coffee. So like, you know, I'm up at six and I've got to make lunches and get the kids to school. And I just thought, well, I'll just do that. Only that. No eating, no coffee, just drink water. And that was fine. And then I realized something was happening and I was, my mind was stressed out. And I realized that I had, I think by removing the making of the coffee, things became the things that I had to do rather than having some ritual imbued with some kind of meaning that I didn't really realize was there that actually empowered me to do the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So I brought that back in consciously and I've noticed myself like if I get up and then I, I'm like, thinking of all the things I have to do and I'm in the kitchen and I'm starting to work. And then I look at my watch and I'm like, Oh, it's only six ten. I need to stop and sit and make my coffee 
for 15 minutes before I go wake the kids up or something. Mm. And that actually kind of transformed my thought process around the whole morning routine Hmm. just by limiting, like by stopping myself from racing through the routine, making myself sit down for a second and just like center and do this ritual. Mm -hmm. And that helped me bring calm into the rest of it. Mm. That's beautiful. (laughs) That's beautiful. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. What is funny, like how we, like, I think it takes you a little bit longer to get going in the morning. You know, it's like, cause like, like I love, I love, you know, I go in and I have my, my stuff that I do and, and I come home and I bring you coffee and then I have, I have this wake up routine, you know, and I turn on the lights the same way every day. And <laughs> I do, I do it all exactly the same way, you know? And part of it has been fun. Cause I, I just kind of like play with different hacks on each section of it, you know? And like that thing I, I told you is like, I go in and I ask Austin like, you know, Hey, do you want a waffle or a pancake sausage? And it gets them thinking about food instead of like, Hey, wake up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, that, that's been, you know, it's like, he still the hardest to get up in the morning, but, uh, uh, I feel like that was like the, like a really, so I'll play with different aspects of it. You know, it's like, or Hannah here lately, she's, she sometimes is really sad in the mornings, you know? And so I found that, you know, I just need to give her a hug mm-hmm. changes everything. Wow. Yeah, which is, you know, Hazel, you don't have to do anything. You just be like, Hazel! She's like, what? <laughs> I want a pancake sausage! <laughs> okay, but put your shoes on, please. <laughs> so she's super excited. She's the Joe Rogan of the group. But, like, I mean, it's like each person, like, right now, Emerson's the anomaly. So, like, what, there's something with her I need to, like, work on in that part of this ritual, mm-hmm. you know? Um and so I think there's just so there's just all these different things that kind of I, I love how aware you are of that. Mm, mm. It's really beautiful. I mean, I have. So I think the first time you told me about what you do with Austin, <laughs> like what do you want to eat in the morning? Because we were talking about the difficulty of getting the kids up in the morning, mm. I, and at that time I was struggling getting one of my kids up, and you told me about that little hack, and that worked for a little while for yeah, me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then he realized what was going on and stopped worrying, but. Um, being aware of that mm-hmm. and playing with it. Yeah. So if routine is oppressive and it's sort of prescriptive power to tell you what you have to do and ritual is enlightening because it points at a purpose that maybe you quite don't understand mm-hmm. the ability to play within that. Yeah to experiment within it, to tweak within it, to exercise maybe free will within that Mm -hmm. even seems joyful. Well, it's like you still have things to do. Like you need to get up. You need to eat. Right, right, right. (laughs) You need to brush your, but it's like, but there's like so many things that can happen within that sphere Mm -hmm. and like how that moves. And then I can see when I do it really well and I can see when I do it really bad. I can see whenever I, I hit a walls in different areas, you know, it's like, what are your experiments with me? With you? <laughs> Top secret. Yeah. <laughs> my alarm is actually going off. My alarm goes off at six fifteen, but I know that Michael comes home between <clears throat> six thirty and six thirty five. And I just lay there and wait for him to come in. <laughs> That's I really like, sweet. I like being woken up by Michael. <laughs> So what, so what are your experiments with me? <laughs> you. 
Which ones? Um, <laughs> Lauren. No. Uh, I mean, the coffee thing is, is you know, I know that's something that that you really enjoy. So, I mean, that's just something that's been a constant, you know? But he leaves it in the kitchen, so I have to actually get out of bed to access the coffee. <laughs> you have to do a slight amount of work. all through that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the way, I mean, I think the way I wake you up in the mornings and, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, it can be more of like, Hey, time to get up. You know, it's like, or, uh, if I've been a butthead or something like that, I go crawl in bed with you for a second, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, there's a, you know, it's like, cause usually in the morning, that's whenever I kind of like, I have this moment where I just kind of, you know, sort of meditate and pray and like, uh, and a lot of times I kind of see, Oh, damn it, Michael such a butthead. <laughs> and so it's usually so when I say sorry the most is you're, at, you're, at 6.30 in the morning. You're repentant in the morning. <laughs> totally. Uh, so the uh, forgiveness snuggle. It's the forgiveness snuggle, yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no. Well, most of You've already given away too much. Or I just was really thankful for something mm. or another. So, mm. yeah, like something came in my head or something. Yeah. So... But it's not like that's not every morning, you know, and I don't think it actually I don't think it should be every morning. You know, um, uh, I think it needs like, I think there needs to be the variety and the uh, it can be like a week long thing. But there has to be some because I think if it, in some instances, if you turn something into a ritual or a routine, it actually starts to die. You know, it doesn't really it doesn't have that life. It has well, to I think sort that's of why like you morph. need the you need the to play within it. Mm-hmm. You need to. Find little things to tweak. Yeah. I mean, back to the word orientation, I think it helps mm-hmm. you orient within that routine and with that ritual and remember why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And especially in times of disorientation, like mm-hmm. perhaps this year, we need to remember that we can play within our routines and within our, within our rituals, even when the surface and face of them seems to change drastically or the limitations seem to come in on us. We Mm -hmm. need to remember that we have the ability to exercise within that. Mm -hmm. Choose the ability to choose. Yeah, I think so. I mean, choose to act. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, even with Linda, it's like, I think of like the things that I, whenever I'm frustrated with Allison or something like that, it's like, I still get her coffee. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? I'm like, man, forget you. No coffee. <laughs> you know, it's like, because I, I, there's, there's a higher, there's a higher value there. You know, even though I might be frustrated, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's like, no, I love Allison, even though I'm frustrated with her. So sometimes even the ritual helps me reorient myself to, yeah. to her, you know? Um, How often are you frustrated with me in the morning and the thought goes through your mind? <laughs> I don't want to get I'm her not coffee. I'm going to get her coffee, but I will. No, that doesn't go through my mind, honestly, like the not giving you coffee. But I was just thinking of, you know, to break uh, uh, break in that ritual. If I forget your coffee, it doesn't mean I'm frustrated. <laughs> it's like, Alice is like, oh no, that's bad, I'm bad at me. It's like, no, I just forgot. Uh, yeah, but why did you forget? <laughs> yeah, why did you forget? <laughs> you know, I think there's just there's a lot of things that ritual also like keeps us oriented even when we're out of, you know, maybe in a healthy space, you know, yeah, um, or something like that. What were you laughing about earlier? Michael is talking and you chuckled. Oh, he said something about, um, <laughs> uh, ritual can like 
also be a killer and you can't do it for too long. So I'll do it for like seven days and then not like seven days is fine. A week is fine. I was imagining him like not bringing you coffee and you're like, where's my coffee? And you were, he was like seven days in a row. It's, it's, it's like, <laughs> gotta take a day off. I'm sorry. Can I get your own coffee? <laughs> well, even like on Saturdays I have the kids bring you coffee. I guess I'm still technically bringing you coffee, but <laughs> just through the kids. Point being, I'm just real spoiled. <laughs> coffee brought to me every day. Mm-hmm. I really. So I my, know. my experience of making coffee is ritual. You're like, no, I don't, I don't have to do that. <laughs> my ritual it's done is for drinking me. the coffee. Right, not, right. But sometimes I don't even drink my coffee. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't actually need it to wake up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't, it's not the first thing I want. Yeah. Like I want water and then. Really, it's on the drive to school. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I need coffee. Yeah. Because I drive a lot. But orienting, I really like that word. Um, Nicole and Adrian, my friends that do somatic experiencing, use that a lot. Nicole McCarran, who was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Who was on the podcast. Yeah, like I think episode three, maybe. Yeah, three or four yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Who was at the dinner, mm-hmm. who I work with every week. So, yeah, so... Tell us about the somatic experiencing. She talked about that, I think, on the podcast. It's been Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah, so they're doing... um, She's in year three of her training. And it's a therapeutic modality that works with healing trauma through the nervous system. As opposed to um, what would be more traditional therapy, uh, like talk therapy. And... Yeah, lots of amazing, amazing uh, tools and strategies for helping us learn how to regulate or tune into our body, know what's happening in our bodies as we experience it, and then be able to resolve difficult experiences and sensations by engaging our nervous system. It's very, very cool. How does the word orienting fit into that for you? Um, A lot of it... Has to do with our uh, what they call a felt sense of safety. When we feel safe physically um, and emotionally, we are most available and open mm-hmm. to new experience, to learning, to like our best self is available. So, orienting yourself physically can help create a sense that physical sense of safety that allows you to open up emotionally it basically gets you out of fight or flight mode mm-hmm. and so there's like all kinds of strategies for helping people orient and feel just safe and grounded in the room physically mm-hmm. um and we just really underestimate that their this approach is basically saying like we really underestimate the power of um, helping ourselves feel safe so that we can engage more fully in our like big brain. So you asked me at the beginning, what makes me feel safe? I want to put that question back to you. What makes me feel safe? Yeah. Um, It's easier for me to describe what makes me feel unsafe. So, for instance, 
Threat of coronavirus does not make me feel unsafe. Does not. Mm-mm. Like, I don't feel scared about that. Seeing all the toilet paper shelves empty at the grocery store doesn't make me feel unsafe. Um, what makes me feel unsafe in terms of I start to feel experience anxiety in my body is uh, anger. Other people's anger, other people's hmm. negative emotions, any kind of conflict that I observe, that I experience, that I can sense in other people, that makes me feel unsafe and puts me into fight or flight mode, which for me is freeze. Um, it makes me feel paralyzed. Um, the most, I'm most affected. I'm most paralyzed if there's negative emotion or conflict with you. (laughs) I've learned, I'm learning this. That makes sense. I mean, I was thinking as you said that, like conflict makes you feel unsafe. So you went and had five kids. (laughs) 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 You're just surrounded by it. I am, but, but I'm not because it's the lack of like the security in this relationship makes me feel so safe. Like I feel, Mm. and and these are all things that I'm having to like work through and I'm learning about in myself. Um, I don't actually, that is physically what I experience. Um, but there's, that also creates some limitations I think within our relationship. So I'm trying to cultivate a sense of, safety within me because like my absolute worst nightmare like ever most horrible thing to happen to me is if Michael died Mm -hmm. like sometimes I'll randomly have thoughts Mm -hmm. I'll just find myself thinking about like what if Michael died I think that's the worst thing that got me too Right, and maybe <laughs> not that I die. But I, mean, I wouldn't really, yeah, know, but but you. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah. what? But like, yeah. your worst nightmare—the thing that would make you feel, yeah, like, would it be losing me, or would it be all of a sudden everyone in the world could hear your thoughts, all of them? That's already happened to me. So, well. <laughs> <laughs> but all of them. Oh, it's already happened. <laughs> I already had that. <laughs> so, you're next. Anyway. <laughs> you you had that during yeah. during, during the, the Michael is crazy the Michael is crazy phase episode that we haven't gotten we to haven't yet. Gotten to yet one of these days. Well, I think it's interesting. You started that by saying, "I asked you what made you feel safe," and you said, "I'll tell you what makes me feel unsafe." And you listed a bunch of things, and then you switched to telling me what made you feel safe. Yeah, and that's because we're wired that way. Our bodies, our brains, our all of our systems are primarily wired to identify a threat. No, but I mean, you ended by saying what made you feel safe, mm-hmm. not by made, what made you feel unsafe. Right. And so I, I mean, I feel like that's part of the progression of, of self-knowledge is to recognize, begin to recognize when mm. do I feel unsafe? And how do I, when do I feel safe? That? And how do you, how can I move myself from an experience of safety and openness mm. or, you know, from unsafe Paralyzed to safe. Is that is that because you can only really encounter safety while holding an idea of what unsafe is? 
Like you can't really understand one without the other. I don't. I don't know. I feel like it's so. It's so linked to our physical experience, which we process so much faster. Yeah. Um. I think there's a part in our development and uh, this is something I've been really interested in as far as, you know, you think about a baby, um, when they're first born, it's, they know nothing but the mother and the breast, you know, it's like food, comfort, safety, you know, and then there's, then the world kind of starts opening up more and more. And at some point there starts to be this disconnect between the mother and the child. The child starts to have more autonomy and then once they get hurt, they come running back to the mother, you know, generally speaking. And again, I'm thinking more over millennia and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think as as we start to, you know, become individualized, you know, as, as independent from, you know, our, our parents, you know, it's like there is this sort of like, how do I feel safe in the world? You know, in this world that is really scary. And I think we do experience that as mm-hmm. children. And maybe sometimes even as adults, we don't actually make that transition into like, how do I feel safe in the world, even though the world is really scary, where it used to be, you know, lions and tigers and bears, you know, now it's, you know, political, (laughs) you know, politics or, you know, diseases that we actually know about or we didn't know about them, you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, well, you're talking about as a child moving from safety which <clears throat> as a as a baby and as a toddler you don't really understand that that is safety it just mm-hmm. is what it is and then you move out into the world and you encounter something terrifying mm-hmm. three feet from your mother yeah we've all seen this happen mm-hmm. child moves out three feet away something scares it it comes running back to its mother mm-hmm. it doesn't experience that we don't experience that as Oh my God, something scary, something unsafe. What's something safe? Oh, mom, let me go run back to mom. It is a 100% physical reaction Mm -hmm. that happens without any necessary conscious processing. You run back to what is safe. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have anything to, to run back to or to surround yourself with it's, and then I think there's uh, this, okay, I'm totally jumping out kind of way ahead here, but uh, maybe we can come back from this and something you were talking about earlier was that sometimes the things that make us unfa- unsafe or our fear, we know them so well that they almost become comforting to us. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's almost like we feel safe feeling, feeling unsafe. It's like if, if, if I didn't have this thing, then I don't know what I would do. Staying in, ab- in an abusive relationship, maybe. Anxious attachment. Ooh, nice. Anxious attachment. Anxious attachment. Yeah. Attached to that. Because mm-hmm. I even experienced this in sort of business-wise. It's, it's like, like, I know how to grind. You know? Like, you know, I don't have, you don't have very much. You do with what you have. It's like, I don't know what you would do with it if you did have plenty. You know? Like, that, that, that's, that's more scarier than, you know grinding, you know, I think that's, I'm making a little bit of a jump, too much of a jump. Go ahead. (laughs) That's a big rabbit trail. Yeah. Maybe we don't need to go down that one, but Mm, yeah, that's a big rabbit trail. 
Is that worth going? Or? I, don't, I don't see it. What, what's the rabbit trail? Yeah. Is it going to make me cry? Maybe just describe <laughs> it, and then we can decide if we want to go there. Um, okay. Let me just say this so that we can come back to it. I remember... Hi. I, I named what makes me feel safe. I know what that is. Okay. So you can ask me again. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I've ever verbalized this to you, okay. but maybe I have. The mountain analogy? I think so. It sounds familiar, but go ahead. Like, there's something about the story of you in college. I went skiing, and you took Aaron up a black. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a triple black or a double Tri- black. Something. <laughs> like something that she was like 100% un- yeah, totally. unprepared to do. Uh-huh. Who's but Aaron? like, come on. Uh, Josh and Aaron. One of our best friends so from college. Live in Fort Worth. Michael convinces her to go up this run that she is completely unprepared mm-hmm. to do. But he's like, you're with me. Come on. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the way down, she like busted her knee open or something. I don't know. I've blocked that out of my memory. <laughs> she got hurt. And I don't know if it was on that run. But mm. anyway, something about that I made, that story made me realize you love to be the rescuer. Hmm. And I, I feel like that is a, a gift. I've experienced you in that. Like that day we were driving to Austin and we came up on this wreck and there was this girl and oh. she was passed out and epileptic and you just jumped in there and stabilized her. And <laughs> I was like about to pass out, but you were just like steady and present. And, um, but thinking about that, I was like, you, I feel like you have a gift and also a love of being mm-hmm. in that position of like rescuer. Mm-hmm. So I have wondered if subconsciously you create situations in which you can be the rescuer. Probably so. Fina- <laughs> like financially. Uh, yeah. Which would which would connect with what you just said about mm-hmm. I don't even know what it would be like to be prosperous. To have abundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like but having a little bit that we can make it make it last. You can mm-hmm. like Fix it. Yeah, reinvest and create and another thing. <laughs> well, but does, uh, does that disqualify that mode of of grinding? Hmm. I mean, the grind is. I'm not, and I'm not complaining about that. No, no, no. I'm, I know, I know where you're coming from on this, and I, I, I actually really do agree with you. In, but it, in, it does, um, it does limit the impact. Because it, you know what I'm saying? Like it limits the impact because that abundance would flow in a lot of different places hmm. if we weren't always like having immediate need. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's quite there's there's quite a few different like I, like I see that in aspects and then um and then there's also like I have a a a a bigger vision too. So, so, so there, I think there's, there's both those things are happening at the same time right. and in different, right. and in different well, healths. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, and we, we, mm-hmm. we've experienced legitimate catastrophe. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, I feel like there might, in some levels, there mm-hmm. may be like a desire to stay in that, like anxious, anxiously attached 
financial state. Yeah. Because it provides an opportunity for you to demonstrate your skill at fixing things and rescuing it's what you know a situation what you know you're good at mm-hmm. well and it's also what i love too because i see potential yeah and it's like like that is just so motivating to me like to see what could be and then to how do you make that happen like that to me is just is just so much like so excited like the girl in the car you know like that was something that you know i knew what to do and and it was just, it was just really, but I mean, it was like, I, I don't know. It was just, it was just something that, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how that, that part fits into this, but, um, yeah, I think that's the part thing. I, I have a hard time because I see potential. Like, I don't know if the rescuing part, I think you could, I think you could translate it into that too. Well, I, I, maybe, okay, mm-hmm. this, so this is a writ, like we're totally processing here <laughs> uh, by, so Matt what do you think tell me more. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like by continually pursuing new opportunities mm-hmm. like each new opportunity is a trip up the mountain yeah mm-hmm. so if maybe it was like hey we're not going to do a trip up the mountain yeah that sounds boring <laughs> that sounds boring yeah but I, I wouldn't know I wouldn't say it was boring I would say just not. Like but what, not what does the trip up the mountain represent? The potential for the new challenge. a rescue, the new challenge. Yeah. So what what would it look like to not take the trip up the mountain? Well, to not take on a new challenge and mean, to it would mean more attention to the mountains that have already been. <laughs> Erected <laughs> to the people who've already like busted their knee going uh, up the mountain. Yeah, all the other mountains. Yeah, it's it's hard because like I want to like go off on like my 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 vision of that, but I I also don't want to like undermine because I see the point you're making and I, I see the I see that part. You know, how do you understand the point I'm making? <laughs> well, I I would say. You know, I think I think you said it well. Like as far as like unconsciously, I might do certain things, and um, but I find that in those spaces is when I learn the most, and so so I really do enjoy that challenge and the um, like I guess I don't know. I, I I see I think I see other people being able to maintain things, and I'm not. It's not really a skill set of mine. I think I've had to learn how to maintain things. But I, I feel like I'd rather like I always think of myself as like I'd rather be the scout out in front, looking to, looking at the new territory like that. Like uh, I don't want to be the general. I don't want to be the you know uh, the the uh a soldier or even a a, sni- a sniper or something like that it's like i want to be out there and that's what's exciting for me you know but i've also had to learn to sit in the office and <laughs> <laughs> because i feel like that but that helps me be better out there but that's where i enjoy and allison are you wondering what it would be like 
if he came in from the frontier and tended to the things that were already won? I I know that about you, and I agree with you mm-hmm. that that is your zone of genius, as Nicole Ooh. would say. This is one of her zone of genius. Her I like zone that of genius. Man, mm-hmm. let's talk about that some more. <laughs> zone of genius. Do we all have one? Yeah, absolutely. I want, one. I, want one. <laughs> I want one. Can I have one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can I deflect and say, hey, what, what is a zone of genius and go that way? <laughs> you can. <coughs> now, if you got something laid out, what you got? Um, yeah. It might be a bigger can of worms than yeah. is worth opening right now. <laughs> All right. See what, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like you're you're driving at a a point that is, well, this has all been very directed personally between y'all, mm-hmm. and, and, but I feel like you're you're driving towards a point that is valuable to mm. all of us. Mm. So, can you try to put some words to the difference between sort of taking on the next challenge and? whatever it is that isn't that. So you said right. something about sort of seeing to the ones that have already, the busted knees that have already been repaired, the rescues that have already happened. Can I put it this way? Maybe like I, 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 the word sabbatical comes to mind, you know, as far as you spend a certain amount of time on the, uh, you know, six months over in Iraq, you come back to kind of have a, like a, to kind of reorient yourself a little bit, you know, um, again, I don't know how that exactly works, you know, uh, but you see that like professors do that too. You, you, you spend a lot of time teaching and stuff like that. And you kind of take a sabbatical and, and study, you step away from your current situation. So in that sense, I could see there's a certain idea of sabbatical. Is it, would that be fairly accurate in that sense? I do think you need that. Mm-hmm. Legitimately, and I want I want that for you. Yeah. I think the point that I'm getting at is that I'm, in a way, questioning. It feels kind of harsh, but like questioning. Is it responsible to keep building new things without a correspondingly larger team of people committed to maintaining what has already been built. Hmm. That makes sense. Like, can we change the word maintain to grow? Sustain. um, And that has some connotations that I'm, I actually want to make a point to stay away from. Mm -hmm. I don't mean grow economically or fiscally, but grow. I'm thinking of a garden. You maintain a garden so that it grows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without maintenance, it dies. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is no sort of like maintain to keep something the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay. Um, you know, like the business analogy, like if you, it's like a bike. If you don't keep pedaling, it falls over. So, <laughs> you know, so I feel like uh, 
you got a lot of bikes going and it really excites you to hop on the new bike. Mm-hmm. I love like, a new bike. <laughs> a new bike. You're like new challenge, harder thing, like yeah. Yeah. more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. But you got to have other people to keep pedaling these bikes back here mm-hmm. who are interested and want to keep growing pedaling. Mm-hmm. those. So ultimately I feel like you don't have enough support. Mm-hmm. Because what I want, what I want for you is for you to be able to be on that frontier because I do feel like that's your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But that requires more support to maintain, to grow, to sustain the things that have already been built. Mm. Yeah, that's a whole, I mean, I I can go way into all that stuff because that's really, that does seem really true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I want more. Yeah. Well, I think that's part that's, uh, I mean, for me, it's like, because when I'm I'm thinking about all those things, is like, how do you, how do you provide the infrastructure in order to sustain those things when you're not, you know, in the business that we're in and, uh, you know, if you don't have like, you know, the multimillion dollar investor type stuff, you know, uh, but you're using what you have to build what you, you know, just build and sustain what you have. It's like, you kind of have to string it along. And like, what I've seen is like, is like you, you're always, it's always kind of coming up behind, but at some point you have to continue to be out front of that because you don't have, you don't have like a, like a really like, like where we are right now is really amazing because we have such a, like, like I've never felt better about a base structure of our business than I do now. And that was something that, you know, before is like a really shoestring, you know, cause you can, you don't have the resources to do the things that you need to do to run a company at the size that you are. And it's like right now I feel like I have, I have that base, you know, some really great people. Mm. And so it feels really like really good right now. Um, so that's, that's the part that's exciting to me is like, Oh man. But however, there is some maintenance that does need to happen. And some, it's really cool because we're doing a lot of that right now too. And I can already see six months, you know, it's like, but I have to be working on that stuff because it won't, you know, it's like, it won't, it won't be there in six months if I don't start now or a year from now, if I don't start now. So it's, that's an interesting way to look at it is like you, you kind of have to, if you do establish the bicycle peddler infrastructure, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you have to be out continuing to be the scout in order to feed Mm -hmm. the growth of what's there. Yeah. Which is kind of, I mean, that runs into a whole other issue like do you have to grow or else you die kind of thing yeah and i think that's a conundrum i don't have an answer to i think you do Mm -hmm. and i I, and i think there's a difference uh, an important difference to be made between Uh, between growing relatively larger Mm -hmm. and simply growing as a course of life and mm-hmm. death and rebirth and regeneration. Yeah. Kind of like you're tending the garden type of, yeah. Like if that mean like making more gardens, it's, there's a certain tending and growing. that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've been talking about this specifically within the example of you and your business, but I think it's applicable to the way that we generally approach 
and interact with our lives. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that you have to be, was like, I think I, something about the answer that I gave earlier about being safe. Mm. You have to, you have to look at tomorrow and set up something that you want to be engaged in and then move toward that. And it's not about even accomplishing that, mm-hmm. but it's about the process. And I, I think we do have to have growth because we have to have a process. We can't just be in one place stagnant. Mm-hmm. We have to be moving. Otherwise we don't have a self, a sense of self, uh, of uh, well-being or a sense of meaning. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to tend to the garden, but you also have to be out looking for sources of water and nutrients. I think there can be a big distinction, though, depending on whether you're just trying to survive or trying to thrive. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. To tell a quick story. Yeah, I did. Go for it. <laughs> Bring it. We'll see if it is applicable. But I, rem- I, a number of years ago, read this article about um, a, a family of Russians who, I guess, before or right at the beginning of World War II, this man and woman who had like I think one kid moved out into the Russian tundra to escape, essentially, the terror of war. Uh, there was, I, I think, a lot of anxiety or in people's lives at that point, maybe like there might be in ours now. And their response was, we're just going to move out where no one is. And they stayed out there and lived out there until I think either the like late nineties or early two thousands. And so something like 50 years. Dang. And, um, we only know this story because some reporter was flying in a plane and noticed a sign of life where you would never expect there to be any sign of human activity Mm -hmm. and decided to go back there and hike out into the Russian tundra and came across this family. And over the course of the next couple of years, got like kept going back out there, got to know them, got to know their story. So they move out there. They end up having a number of kids. A lot of the kids pass away. The mother passes away. They have nothing and they're just living off the land. And I mean, it's, it's a really incredible story. Um, but they, they survived by planting gardens and eating the food that they could, but they're living in the Russian tundra and half the time they can't grow anything. And then during, during those periods of time, they're, the suns are going out into the forest or the mountains or whatever and trying to hunt. And sometimes some of them don't come back. Hmm. Does this relate at all to what we're talking about? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I was waiting for the, uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Surviving versus thriving. Right. So there uh, were periods of time when they thrived mm-hmm. and other periods of time when they were just surviving and other periods of time when they didn't survive at all. And some of them died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and those modes of life are certainly different. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Cause we don't, we don't really face that today, you know, as far as, in the same physical, like we go to the grocery store, except there's no toilet paper right now. But other than that, you know, we go to the grocery store and get the stuff that we need for that day or for that week. We don't have to worry about the the seasons as much, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, even so, I feel like we went through a survival period. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. 
like we were surviving. Yeah. For what that means for us in modern day life. Yeah. It wasn't Russian tundra. No. We weren't going to die of starvation. It wasn't life and death. Life and death. Probably felt like it. Mm-hmm. When you go to the grocery store and you don't know if there's like that <laughs> debit card is going to work. Yeah. That feels like survival. Yeah. Because that's literally like, can I get this food? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Can I have it? <laughs> Will not. Wick approve my application? Yeah. No, I remember no, that. They won't. <laughs> Shit. We paid ourselves $100 too much, and yeah. so we couldn't get on like that. <laughs> it was funny. Literally $100 too much? $100 yeah. too much, yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. I, I do think the experience of life and death and the experience of survival is a relative experience mm-hmm. and not an absolute one. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe we sort of circle back around to kind of the stuff that we're talking about. We started the conversation with was... I mean, I don't know if this is time to do that or not, but like, you know, with, you know, the political and the, you know, Corona and some of the other things that are happening today. I mean, there's plenty of other, I mean, there's plenty of things that where we have a lot of anxiety about and what are we doing to, yeah. Um, yeah. to really, uh, well, cause well, it's like, you could say, well, but look at how good things are relative to 50 years ago or hundred years ago. Yeah. But it just, I don't think that's how we experience life. We don't experience life relative to some perceived alternative. Yeah. And it's not helpful. emotionally, but that's the funny thing. It's helpful for me though. Like when I see things in perspective, I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. And there's, there's more of a sense of gratitude and thankfulness. And so I don't, I don't know, like, it could be different for each person. Like they different, like, again, you couldn't tell somebody, uh, you know, you know, don't smoke crack. You'll feel better. And they're like, what? You're not really understanding like what that really means. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, it makes me feel really good. You know, like that's what they believe. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the the things that we're going to need, the things that we will turn to in order to feel safe in a survival season versus a thriving season are going to be completely different. Hmm. Ultimately, I feel like humanity is designed not simply to survive, but to thrive. And yeah, that seems really clear. My wish is that we would, none of us would have to merely survive this life, but that we could, have enough safety, physical, mental, emotional, that we can get to that, to be, to live, exist in that place of thriving where you have more availability for creativity, for, for building, for exploration, for curiosity, for, for growth. So relative to almost any other time in history, the vast, vast majority of us on the planet are absolutely unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly, does that work? I like it. Thriving. So what do you, and, and yet we all experience debilitating anxiety at times. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us. And we were talking about this before the podcast, something I felt today. So 
in light of the fact that we are thriving relative to some other benchmark, it may not feel like that now, especially in a time of anxiety, whether that's personal or um, national, economical, mm-hmm. having to do with the impending virus or an impending election. What do you say to someone who is in the throes of that anxiety? They don't feel like they're thriving. They feel like they're dying. Right. Well, I mean, what I was saying to the mom uh, at this group the other day, I, for me, I f- was framing it in the context of childbirth. Like, you have a new baby. You are physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in every realm, thrust into a new realm. A a realm of chaos that you've never experienced. Yeah. Like, you know, that library analogy, y'all were talking about somebody, Epstein. (laughs) Eric Weinstein. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Whoever. His Um, his mind is like a a library and he has access to everything. uh Okay. So imagine a woman's mind is that. And then she, uh, three times, three times in her life. And I don't know what it is for men. I'm sure y'all experience this on mm, some. I like where you're going with this minor level. But, uh, <laughs> uh, three times. So, so pu- puberty, menopause, and childbirth. Mm. The brain, where all those lovely books are stored, someone comes in, takes all the books off the shelves, throws them on the ground. And that's what your brain does after mm. you have a baby. <laughs> That's a great That's so analogy. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. And then uh-huh. it's a process. It's a transition season of your brain reorganizing the books, going through picking each one up. But it's going to put the most important ones closest access. Mm-hmm. So it's going to reorganize around biological imperatives for keeping your children alive. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, so mom's brain has done that, and that is a transition. Yeah. And so this is what our uh, our postpartum group does. We help give tools and resource and witnessing, like compassionate, like witnessing of moms in this transition. So my response to the mother who is, you know, like visibly upset like she couldn't talk she was so deeply upset by the political situation she was observing and encountering i'm like okay yeah you said she was saying i I don't know how to bring a kid into this world well those were some of the comments that came out after she had just said like i can't like i'm watching the news and i'm just like she's overwhelmed yeah um and so i was like okay guys let's just like you're in this transition right now, you've chosen to be in this group and to get these tools and to surround yourself with this support. Let's let's frame this as a transition year for our country. Like our country is going to go through a transition. So what do you need to be well in that? What do you need to feel to feel safe, to feel supported? What resources, what tools do you need? Like you've already had experience of, of garnering that support for yourself by coming here. Hmm. So just like macro level that for the entire year, like, oh, I've got to go through an election year. Our country's going through transition year. 
what do I need to be well? What kind of support? What kind of allies? What kind of you know practices um, of presence and mindfulness and collective care and self care? What book am I in the larger libra- library, and where do I need to be put back? Um, yeah, it's reaching too, am I reaching too far on that? Oh, no, that's kind of like, kinda oh. like it. I wanted to follow that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, and I feel like there's there's choice in that. There's empowerment in that. Deciding like, okay, well, I can see this. I see this coming down the pipe for 2020. How do I want to be? We can hmm. choose. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot I have to do with, like, really understanding your role and your limitations too in that space like i have control over this and not that i mean i, I mean ultimately or I have it's influence like, over this and not that we can only control us mm-hmm. I, I mean i feel like that's the hardest reality to face in parenting like the reality is i can only control me i actually can't control these children mm-hmm. yeah you can I make can, your demands but you can't I can intimidate them. I can manipulate them. them. I can physically do things to them for a little while. That are painful. That are painful and disruptive to our relationship. But ultimately, I can only control myself. Yeah. And having, having to really realize that this, with our children, it's really a relationship. It's not control. It's not... Anyway... So uh, you said women have three times in their lives where the library gets ransacked. Mm-hmm. Do you... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allison's stirring her drink with her finger. Um, do, you, do you see time, a time or times in men's life where that happens? Probably puberty. Puberty? I don't really know. Um, I don't know much about the like men's physiology, but I'm sure you guys have some sorts of transitions. I mean, I know that, for instance, if a woman is predisposed to, or if a woman has postpartum depression, her partner, her partner's risk for postpartum depression goes up. Right. There's some neurological stuff in there. Um, but you guys don't go through the the physical and mental shifts that we go through at, in regard to reproduction, mm-hmm. except for puberty. <clears throat> yeah, I don't even think puberty's the same in that respect, though. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, yeah, it's a big conversation. Too, it is because <laughs> I mean, the thing that came to my mind was midlife crisis for yeah. men. That, and that seems to be a pretty male thing. But women thing. have that, too. They have mm-hmm. it, too. I mean, it, not that they don't, but it, it, it's like the, the first thing that I thought of where a man's brain seems to scramble. Well, it's also the testosterone starts to, you know, usually like in your 40s and 50s, it starts to kind of like, what do you call it? Uh, recede. Recede a little bit. And so... Um, I mean, I think trauma can do it to you mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. yeah. Male or female. Male or female. For yeah. sure. Yeah. You experience something so unexpected that it makes you question the reality of everything you've understood in your life before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It calls into question everything that you have taken as true, every axiom that you've had. Yeah. That can be a, land, a ransack of the library mm-hmm. of your mind. 
For sure. And that's not male or female. That's mm-hmm. something I think a lot of people experience. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But it might not be a totally, well, like I'm wondering if it's a completely systemic reboot as childbirth. Like, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know because like you, you were talking about like you're actually putting the library back together in a different order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a trauma comes in and like ransacks a section. Right. And then that has to be rebuilt. Yeah. And, uh, well, for me, it was like a high whole library. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but your library wasn't, didn't, didn't get reorganized. It got repaired, put back, but not necessarily reorganized. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I think don't I see, know. I think I see what you're saying because it, it there's something that it's reorganized around, which is the nurturing of another life, like you said before. Right. Whereas after you went crazy and came mm-hmm. back, you might have reorganized around something that it wasn't organized around before, but not something so sp- specific. Yeah, something so physical and. And I mean, I'm not trying to know. minimize what you. Oh, I don't think you are. Went through I'm just, I'm just curious, <laughs> like, like, cause like when I think about it, I was like, man, I had no life. My library went completely away, and I had to start over with one book and put it on the shelf, and go, what is that book? Hmm. What's in that book? What's the book made of? Okay, that's interesting. And put another one next to it, and like, oh wait, that doesn't go there. Uh, it goes over here. That feels weird, and so you kind of have to like. You know, it's like you're you're slowly building that library back up. Right. So I don't know, but that might be that analogy might be kind of breaking down for me in that area. Hmm. Yeah. But it makes yeah. sense to me. I mean, I think just biologically, like like women go through the highest amount of hormones and the lowest amount of hormones. You know, within a 24 hour period of time, is that it, or that they ever have in their their whole life? Like during childbirth, during childbirth, yeah, mm-hmm. it's sort of like it just transitions from life, like life protector or um, womb to outward shifting, producing milk. You're now it's this outward protection now too. You know, that is interesting. I mean, I clearly haven't experienced childbirth personally, yeah. but I've <laughs> I've witnessed it yeah. a number of times, and mm-hmm. it does. It, you do seem to go through the full spectrum of possible human emotion mm-hmm. within a 24 hour period. Yeah. That's a, well, it's interesting. I never thought about it this way, but I, I think something I have said since I had my first kid to other friends who are getting married or thinking about having kids, I've always said you definitely should have kids mm-hmm. because without having kids, you, you don't have access to some of the information that life has to give. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't have access. You don't even know it's there. You have no way to understand <laughs> the information. Yeah. That you don't no not no way to understand the information. No way to understand that the information even exists. And then when you have a kid, you're like, there's a whole separate part of life I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, it's funny because like when I hear my single friends, they're like, Why would you do that? And you're like no, it's really awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you almost sound like you're trying to convince them, like, right. no, no, this is really great. And then you find yourself going, I, I can't, it, no, it is really hard and there's a lot of suffering in it, but there's something really beautiful about it too. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I think part of that information that I never really considered is that 
you watch somebody Mm -hmm. or I mean, I watched somebody, Mm -hmm. you did it yourself, but go through somehow in touch on all of the different extremes of emotions Mm -hmm. and experiences that could be had seem to all be present there. There is suffering, there's pain, but there's just absolute ecstasy and joy. And then there's complete exhaustion and then complete safety Mm-hmm. And then fear, and it's like all it's like ev- the whole lineup, the yeah. whole kaleidoscope, serenity, and then yeah, <laughs> it's like just all the words, <laughs> all the words. every poem that's ever been written. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, just in defense of people who have traumatic births, oh. they're not always all the things true, yeah, true. And sometimes, sometimes there can be mostly bad, and sometimes there can be mostly good. Mm-hmm. I think if the birth that I would want for everyone is what you're describing, that full spectrum and, of and humanity. The, you know, I can't say that any one birth of my children was that. Right. And there's more that through the totality of it, I saw those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean even that, my kid's mom felt all of that or would describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. But I had access to something yeah. in that experience. I have, I've gotten in trouble recently with friends, um, is that making, a toast the, or so? <laughs> making the claim that having, having children is a necessary for full maturity as a human. I can see why you get in trouble with that. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I, did. I, I'll, uh, because you just said, I, I was going to say, you, I'll agree with you. And I got scared. <laughs> <laughs> like how there's things you cannot access apart from that experience. Yeah. I would argue that you can access that on a like very spiritual plane, mm-hmm. but that it's rare to be able to do that without the human experience. And you can live an extremely profoundly fulfilled life without yeah. that Mat- access. Mm-hmm. Mature life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. mature life, yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I got into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I've, I've had the same argument made to me about trying certain drugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh-huh. there's things that you have an access that you can, and I'm like, yeah, I still don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Just a little casuistry there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casuistry. <laughs> yeah, but there's, I mean, that's just like, the comparison is almost not nonsensical. Like, yeah. <laughs> the experience of a child versus. Well, us. I'm still interested in like, as far as like how, like I, I want to, like, I think I want to kind of like as, as much as we can, like, what are some tools? Cause I, I, again, I see, I see a lot of like, again, like Matt and I talked about it in our last podcast. Yeah. It's already out. Um, about like, we're not very political, so I don't really have like a, a draw towards, you know, Democrat, Republican, that kind of stuff. But you know, what are, you know, even with the, you know, with the coronavirus and that kind of stuff, like what are things that, that 
our tools to kind of stay in a, in a good space, mm-hmm. you know, even if you feel, and again, depending on, you know, how people talk about it and what they're talking about to feel in a place that you feel, uh, I guess we keep right. using the word safe, you know, I think that's something that. I mean, I keep coming back to the, the SE practices, the somatic experience practices that I've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it has to do with being present in the moment. So like a question would be right now, look around the room, look like where you are right now. What makes you feel safe mm-hmm. right now? What in this environment makes you feel safe? Mm. Is that rhetorical? No, that's an actual question. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all yeah. make me feel very safe. You too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I, mean, I think you too, too. <laughs> Support. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, Supportive. like if, if something were to go like massively crazy, mm-hmm. you know, who are the people that I would call to be like, where are you? Yeah. We need to get to the same place. Yeah, totally. Um, and I've got a, Bring the mics. Short list. No. <laughs> Bring the mics. Uh, Podcast opportunities. <laughs> so, <laughs> so business Sorry. oriented. Sorry, you were you were sharing no, from the heart. <laughs> actually, something else that makes me well, you said that, and the first thing I thought was this like line of guitars on my wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes me feel very safe. Earlier today, I was feeling very anxious, and I picked up my guitar and just sang a couple songs, and that mm-hmm. calmed me quite a bit. There's something about the. Well, back to the idea of, of uh, ritual, mm-hmm. something very faithful about it. Mm. Also, very it's clearly very rhythmic and melodical and um, has, has the ability to sort of like smooth out the frequencies of my brain. Mm. Mm. Having that available. Yeah. What about you? Oh, just it's, I think I've just built up a lot of rituals over the years because going through that that part of my life, it was like so. I think like my books make me feel safe. No, right now, this moment. Oh, right now, <laughs> this moment. <laughs> this moment right now makes me feel safe. <laughs> what? What about this moment? Like, can you identify something in this ex- current experience that makes you feel safe? Well, I like talking about things, so. Like, uh, you know, and with you two, like, I know that you guys will challenge me and also listen to me and, um, that we're, that we're both seeking understanding, you know, and we're also, I I feel like I like it that if we start to head into a space that is not good, like, well, it's like, Oh, okay, hold on. Let's kind of, let's kind of bring it back to this or something like that. So, you know, you can get off into not conspiracy theories, but that kind of stuff. And, and it just starts spinning and spinning and spinning. And usually someone's going to be like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's bring it back down. Where are we at? And I think that's a grounding. You know, yeah, what are the concepts that we started mm-hmm. with and how do we bring, how do we bring, bring it, back? it back to those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and so you tapped into like a social, a security from like a social perspective. Mm-hmm. And you're tapping into security from a, a mental perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm like, 
I'm sitting in a really solid chair. <laughs> like, uh, there's walls. There's a roof around me. Hmm. There's a dog. <laughs> that I don't care for dogs, but if something was out there, he would bark. He would bark at it. Yeah, he's like an alert system. Mm-hmm. And there's food in your fridge if I get hungry. <laughs> there's like safety in that for me. I'm like, oh, I'm with, you know, my man and my friend Matt, and like. I'm physically, I feel extremely safe. Hmm. Your safety is rooted physically. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Because mm-hmm. I think my answer, my first answer to just being with y'all, I would feel the exact same way if we were camping and the tent fell apart and we were just sitting outside getting poured on, <laughs> on uh-huh. in the mud. Yeah. I would not. <laughs> That would I would be so stressed. What about stressed. a solid chair in the mud? No, <laughs> a solid chair in the rain. Uh, stress. Stress. Yeah. yeah. With my friends. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you were there, it was fine. That was like Colorado. No, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so this taps into the enneagram and the subtypes, hmm. which I think is fascinating because the subtypes are about our survival instincts. Like we all have really core survival instincts and we gravitate toward a certain kind of, of instinct to feel safe. And I feel like that really affects our personality and Mm -hmm. the way we interact in the world. Do you know my subtypes? Mm -hmm. I mean, based on your answer, I would say social. What do you think? Oh, I guess that makes sense. Because it's, uh, it's sexual or like mating or pairing off or one-to-one relationships um, or social, which is kind of group hmm. or self-prez, which is sort of, I need to protect myself and build the walls. Right. Well, the survival. So like oh. in order to survive, Nursing. humanity needed... Well, first of all, you have to have like this vigilance about your environment and your resources, right? Like, is there, are there threats? Is there something coming to eat me? Do I have access to water, to food? Like all those things that we literally needed to survive the resources. Um, And then also there's self-preservation, which is Mm self-preservation. And then there's safety in numbers. So I need the tribe. Mm -hmm. I need the flock. I need. The bigger the flock, the safer we are. The greater my chance of survival. Um, and then the sexual mm-hmm. um, is like we literally have to procreate. And so there's a need for intimacy among pairs um, in order to survive. So they na- they identified in the Enneagram those mm-hmm. three. Uh, like we all have all three, but we gravitate toward one as a primary sense of safety. Hmm. So for me, it's the sexual orientation, like hmm. the one-to-one relationship. Well, based on your answer, I would have said self-preservation. I know, right? That, yeah. And based on my answer, you said social, but I think I would self-relate as sexual. Yeah, very true. I mean, I, I know for a fact that I'm... Like, because I... 
I'm more scared of being in an argument with him than I am of coronavirus. <laughs> uh, I also don't feel like the sexual descriptor is fair. It's one to one. It's one to one. Yeah. yeah. It's one to one bonding. It's like, right. I need to have a bond with the people that are important to me. My loved ones. Yeah. Like a really intimate bond. I feel like that. <laughs> I would choose that over the other two. Mm hmm. I would choose a one-to-one bond in a life or death situation mm-hmm. over a safe situation without a one-to-one bond. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which I'm probably, I'm also more one-to-one too. Cause it's like, you know, like you and I are friends, <laughs> you know, it's like, I have yeah. like, like I, I zero in on that. It's like, it's like, <clears throat> you're my wife. And it's like, I, I know that there's this thing that I have in that space with, you know, also my friend too, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, so it's like, it's a, that, that's where I really go to outside of my books and stuff. <laughs> right. And how we come to be oriented into one instinct over the other, I, I don't know. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, it's um, genetic. But I know women. people who are social. Like that is their, that is their like go-to strategy for life. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Like I see it operating. I'm like, wow, that I'm just so different. It's a there are values I feel like associated with each of the different survival instincts. So you're going to value certain things over others because right. creating a big social network makes you feel safe. Whereas deepening my intimacy with like certain people that makes me feel safe. Yeah. Or making sure I have all the money, all the resources, all the things at my disposal, that makes me feel safe. So to loop it back to like the over the arching theme of the conversation, I feel like having the self-awareness about, you know, where am I operating out of in terms of survival Mm. instinct actually has a big, Mm. is like a big key into being well in a year when you know, It's going to be tumultuous. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing to identify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating at the very least. <laughs> so given that we started the episode talking about this tumultuous, tumultuous year and we kind of came back there now, It does feel like a, th- a lot of things are up in the air. A lot of things are unknown. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question? What do you, how do you hope to enter into this year? Hmm. I mean, I'm pretty optimistic in general, <laughs> so I don't really, uh, you know, as far as, oh, shoot, that's hard. Cause I, uh, yeah, I'm trying not to like, uh, does your optimism, like it doesn't have anything to do with politics, politics or, or it's, it's just like, I just don't see, God, I'm trying to, I don't know how to, I don't actually know how to state that. Is it that you're just going to approach this like you approach everything? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's just, you know, there's whether I agree with somebody or disagree with somebody, like, I feel like I'm just going to learn a lot yeah. <laughs> in all this, you know? And, yeah. and I, and I know, I just don't, I know that I do not want to get caught up in, I don't want to get caught up in the hysteria. Mm-hmm. It's like, if it's bad, then okay, it's bad. Now, what do we do about that? Like, I don't want to like, ah, ah, you know, get crazy about it. It's like, okay, well, what can we do about this right now? Okay. This is what we know right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's like allowing certain things to be unknown and to be okay with that. Like, I think that's, that's something I want to approach this next to, to continue to hold those two things, you know, and always be assessing that it's like, okay, I know this much and I don't, I don't know outside of that. So I have to be okay with that. Um, so just kind of sitting in that space of the paradox of, yeah. Um, but then always pushing forward and, you know, seeking to understand, but I'm, I know that getting into a place of hysteria is just doesn't help anybody. Right. And I, I don't want to do that for others. I know I don't want to do that for myself too. You are literally never in a place of hysteria. What? <laughs> <laughs> How do you want to enter into the unknown? <coughs> Excuse me. Once you get over the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I'm personally just fired up. Hmm. <laughs> I keep because I, I just turned 40 whoop. and whoop, uh, I feel like in so many ways, I'm just getting started. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about it. In a way, I feel like this season for me, and maybe this is common for a lot of women at my stage of life, but it's like what you guys access in your 30s. It's like, okay, I've gained some skills. I've got some knowledge. Now I'm going to like apply that and build my thing through your thirties. I wonder if it's like that starts for women Hmm. in their forties. Um, because like my thirties were hundred percent childbearing. Yeah. Child rearing twenties. Bearing and rearing. Bearing (laughs) and rearing. It's like the last whatever, 15 years has been like children. And that's still the case. But less so now that they're in school and they're more independent. And I feel like I'm fully, I'm really invested in discovering what all I want to bring forth in the world as my my work, my expression. Mm-hmm. In concert with what we've already built. Mm-hmm. So what I don't want is to look back on 2020 and be like, oh, fucking coronavirus. <laughs> fucking Trump. You know, like, I don't, that's not going to be my year. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to look back on this year and be like, oh, it was awful. It was terrible. Uh, no. Not for me. Like, that's just not what I choose. I, from a place of gratitude, because I know that I'm in a season of thriving because of, all of our grind mm-hmm. <laughs> for the last however many years. Like, 
way of putting the grind. This is why you had the response you did to his grind story earlier. You're like, <laughs> I'm ready to thrive. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm 40. <laughs> it is time. Time. The time thrive. is now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so for me, I'm she going... Likes, she likes the way I grind, though. It's like... No. <laughs> Clearly. And it's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said yeah. that out loud. Sorry, I was in my head. Like, <laughs> we have five babies. Yeah. So, um, anyway, derail. Uh, so that's me. I'm like, let's let's go. And I mean, I want to be compassionate because, like, it would suck to have a brand new baby this year. That would, that would suck in this atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but that's not my season. I want to be supportive and empathetic and like offer whatever wisdom I have. Cause I, I do feel compassionate about it for, but personally I'm like, let's go. I, I do want to, So you said it would suck to have a brand new baby right now. I want to, I want to negate that. Okay, please do. Because mm-hmm. now <laughs> you said that back to me. I'm like, shit. One of my good friends is having a baby this year. <laughs> I, I actually, I mean, I think it is probably one of the best times hmm. ever to bring a baby into the world. Hmm. Preach. Come on. <laughs> we are more connected as a people than we've ever been before. Mm. And part of what comes with that is divisiveness. Part of what comes with that is argument. And on the surface, you know, you can say, you know what, we're more divided than we've ever been. But also we're more connected than we've ever been because we can talk to other people. We can talk to our families who don't live in the same cities that we do. Mm. We can see their faces in a way that we didn't have access to before. Um, We have the greatest amount of access to information, to community, to resources. I, I mean, even I had my first kid pre iPhone. Whoa. <laughs> so did, yeah. I mean, so did yeah, y'all, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but just think about that. The access that you had to people, to resources, to information was, there's almost like no way to describe how drastically different it was. Mm-hmm. And you, we are living in a time now where that's amplified even more, I think, um, than it was at the advent of the iPhone. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic time to be alive. I think it's a fantastic time to bring a baby into the world because that is the time you need the most support and you have access to the most support right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of scary things going on in the world, but there's always a lot of scary things going on yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and to look at it in the best way possible, we have more ability to make the most of it now as a people, as a culture, as a world mm-hmm. than we did in, even in 2016 when things seemed crazy. Mm-hmm. So bring those babies in. <laughs> yes. Get out there and make some babies. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of you, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> We've done our work. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, that 
and also life and family too. I mean, I think there's just something really beautiful, like you know, when you see families yeah. and you know, mm. I don't know. That really that reminds me of what I said earlier. I was like, let me come back to this. Oh yeah. What true? What makes you safe? Makes me feel safe is connection. Um. And I think this might that might be true of all the like the instincts that we were just talking about. So for me, the the deepest sense of security and safety is connection with my loved ones. Hmm. For someone who's like socially oriented, like their deepest sense of safety is in connection with their Family community, friends, yeah. with their people. For someone who is resource environmentally aware it's like connection with these resources but ultimately and what i'm trying to move from is like my deepest sense of safety is connection with god that can never that's the only thing that can never be taken from me Hmm. and i'm trying to this year like my like my hat my rainbow hat that I just bought <laughs> from my favorite brand. Um, Aviator says, Nation. Aviator Nation. Made just for me. They're not a sponsor, but... <laughs> but if they want to send us some money, they can. <laughs> um, it's stay grounded. But for me, that means stay grounded in my connection with my creator. Because that's really where my, all my security comes from. And when, I, when I'm grounded and feel secure in myself in that I'm free I'm like available and that's really where Hmm. that's my trajectory this year is to live from that place I love that I think when I asked y'all the question how do you want to enter the unknown of this year I struggled to exactly articulate my answer to myself in my head. And I think free and available. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. In whatever political conversation comes my way, whatever worry about illness for me or my family, um, whatever concern about the economy or whatever else there may be, I want to be free and available to encounter it, Mm. to engage it, to talk about it, to feel it. Let it come and let it go. Or even to speak peace to, to it. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Like, because like I mean, one of you guys said, like this is this year is not an anomaly. No. Yeah. In in the course of human <clears throat> history, what we're experiencing is not an anomaly. Mm-mm. It's not new. It's life. <laughs> yeah, it's mm-hmm. life. It's and different. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, yeah, like we're not going backwards. Oh man, that reminds me of the poem. I read a poem at the end of our mama groups. Um, do you have it memorized? I should. We ended the last podcast. I didn't do so hot though. <laughs> I didn't end up reading it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe you could read that one for to end the podcast. That'd be perfect. I yeah. will read it. Mm-hmm. Let me look it up. Um, Who's it by? It is by Khalil Gibran. Um, help 
me spell this. Mm-hmm. Oh, Allison learned that she still texts like a old person. She's Shh. trying to learn how to. Single finger? <laughs> Single finger. <laughs> Middle finger, too. <laughs> it's because of these nails. Uh, I've got long, feminine, Those beautiful. aren't even that long. Well, for I don't understand. Pe- well, they, for me, they I mean, are. I've seen people with nails like five times that long. Uh-huh. I don't understand how they function. Uh-huh. Um, I read this poem, one of two poems. Sometimes I read this one, sometimes I read another. But um, it speaks to me of the necessity for us to take responsibility for our own well-being. And the Hmm. profound impact that that has on the future when we can know that I can only control me. And my investment in my own well-being is an investment in the future. So, hence, I I read this one. Uh, It's from his book, The Prophet. And it's called On Children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. It's beautiful. Love it. Life's longing for itself. We need a little clink and then, uh, guys, I love you. Yeah. Love you guys. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to the shores of ignorance. Yes. Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Awesome.